You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ for conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. This week's topic, a conversation about coaching featuring Matt Vaughn. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? It's going great. It's great. Not only do I get to spend time this week with you, I get to spend time with another favorite poker person. Yes. Matt Money Vaughn. We're very fortunate this week to have Matt Vaughn join us to talk about coaching, what it is, what it isn't, when you need it, when you don't need it. We're just going to have a conversation about coaching. And Matt, I'm really happy you've taken the time to join us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I'm, I see that Dell's really trying to get that nickname to stick. He's using it at every turn. He does. He does. <laughs> it's a fitting name. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Matt Vaughn, he's a poker vlogger. He is the head coach at School of Cards. He's the recent winner of the Venetian 1100 monster stack and a decent whistler. Although if I'm correct, I understand that you're no longer <laughs> able to do inhaling whistling. So you're really only rocking the people half the time, Matt. All right, let's, let's see if we can handle it here. That was both. That, was, that both. was both. We got the inhale and the exhale whistling. So Matt was indeed rocking out the entire time. Very nice. Excellent. Wow. Do you also provide coaching for, for whistling? No, you know, I'm, I actually feel pretty off my game. I'm a little embarrassed, but that's okay. Uh, I, I used to though. It was just, I was, I was pretty expensive for, for the, you know, the lower level whistling community. So I wonder what people thought of me in 12th grade. I was never able to whistle until I decided that in senior year of high school, I would spend all my time walking the halls trying to figure out how to whistle. So anybody looking at like my face would see this like mouth structure that just kind of like meanders all over until I finally hit upon it. And then once I hit upon it, it was all the thing I could do all the time. I couldn't stop whistling. It was like I found a new, I found a new language. As a child, my favorite song for Christmas is all I want for Christmas with two front teeth so I can whistle. Still haven't learned how to whistle. <laughs> Whistling isn't for everybody. And perhaps coaching might not be for everybody. So we want to have a conversation about what it is, what it isn't, when you need it, when you don't. I'm really interested in, in your thoughts on this, Matt. So when should someone seek out coaching versus going at it alone or with a poker cohort, with a group of friends? Like when do you say, you know what, I really need to get over this plateau or something? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. You might have given me the answer before uh, intended, but I think plateau is an important part of it for most players. The thing about poker coaching is that and this will delve into a few different issues, but the, the thing about poker coaching is it is often rather expensive on a sort of like hour by hour basis. And there's good reasons for that, but uh, we can swing back on that later. Um, but it is expensive. And as compared with say, you know, training site offerings or free options, such as like, to, you know, developing your game with poker friends and things like that. It's obviously up there as one of the most expensive things that you can do as far as an investment in your game. And so it's important to uh, simultaneously, you know, sort of find the right coach or, you know, a, a good coach, um, but also to sort of be, I think, at the right point in your game for the coaching to really be worthwhile. Because, you know, if, if you're sort of making a lot of progress on your own, if you are making leaps and bounds with what you're already doing, then a coach 
certainly won't hurt necessarily. It, it may well help you. It may well accelerate you, but it's kind of hard to accelerate you past a certain point if you're already making a lot of progress. And so I think where, you know, a, a lot of players might go wrong is like not really exhausting certain options prior to trying to get coaching. I get a lot of messages through my social media channels asking if I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I would say I turn 95 to 98% of those people away or towards some other option because they're playing one, two, they maybe haven't studied a whole lot. And the reality is like, they're going to make maybe not equal progress as they would with me with something else, but certainly for the money put in over the long run, they're going to spend way more on coaching during a period of time where they could get almost equal progress. Those other options are obviously numerous. And so I think that sifting through them can be hard. The decision on how to study is also, you know, inextricably linked to this question. Those decisions, I think, could be made with the help of other friends, other players you respect for free, <laughs> and then, you know, spend your money on sort of the products that will will most efficiently help you get there without being like in the hundreds of dollars per hour sort of basis. It's kind of important, I think, to share our journeys along this path as well. Sure. And talking about trying to figure out how to exhaust those avenues of learning before you go to coaching. I started the way that most people started. Books, Harrington, Sklansky, Helmuth gravitated to YouTube videos and, and poker blogs. Your vlog included, little shout out there. <laughs> and then I stumbled across School of Cards and I joined School of Cards, I think, what, three years ago? And my games transformed. I mean, it's literally transformed. I did the calculation just last month. So this video is going out in around July of 2021. So pre-COVID, we're talking March of 2019. My win rate was around like under two big blinds per hour. Since COVID, it's jumped up to like 15. And that includes me jumping up stakes to 2.5. How would someone do what I did, but kind of know, you know, how would they know if School of Cards is right for them or other poker training sites? But yeah, I mean, probably the number one hardest thing about picking a camp is you often don't really know what you're getting before you sign up or before you give money. And a lot of times people end up very, very sort of emotionally invested with the monetary investment. And that's a whole, that's a whole can of worms, like sunk cost bias and all sorts of things going on. But like, basically, I think that it's hard to know what the right thing is for you until you know, and sometimes you don't know until you've tried a couple of things. So I, I would say definitely don't be afraid to ask certain, and by the way, I want to keep this more general, like I'll talk about School of Cards also, but I think it's important to note that not every camp is the right fit for every player or every place along somebody's journey as a player or, you know, all these things. So it's important to be able to identify, especially at multiple points in your sort of poker career, air quotes on career, what the right thing is for you, because it's not a given that every camp has an offering that works for you. So I think don't be afraid to ask if there are trial periods or what the money back guarantee sort of situation is, because you shouldn't be afraid to try something and see if it works for you. And I think that certain camps are priced in such a way that they might not have that. And so maybe it's worth it to just sign up for a month and try it, try it that way, that sort of thing. But I think that figure, and it's, by the way, it's not that any of these camps are not good material. It's not that any of them are not theoretically based. It's that the curriculum or the way that things are communicated and sort of the overall journey from point A to point B that that sort of camp prescribes to 
ascribes to rather is going to be different. And whether that fits you or not is sometimes hard to know because all, all of the camps are like, we're the best and we have all the info and we're going to make you a winning player, right? Because that's what everybody wants. But the reality is like, what stakes do you play? And like, are you live or online? And are you only no limit or do you care about other games? All of those things should, should go into kind of if you like a camp or not. Now, uh, just to plug School of Cards, I do think that School of Cards is the best camp for live, no limit hold'em players who are looking to play anywhere from 1-2 to 5-10, live only. <laughs> there is one thing that you had mentioned as an earlier jumping point into coaching, and that's a community of your peers against whom you can bounce ideas, share hand histories, you know, talk strategy and theory, things like that. I will admit that the better poker camps that I have found come with their own vibrant communities. I'll confess, I was not able to find such a vibrant community until I joined School of Cards. So I almost felt like I got a twofer there. I got the curriculum, the training, the coaching, but also the community that I could grow and learn with together. I think that a lot of the whole, you know, when are you ready for coaching, part of it has to do with your game, but another part has to do with how willing you are to receive coaching. It does no good to hire a coach and then tell them that that they're wrong that what they're trying to tell you isn't isn't going to work in your game that the all the whole old argument of well you don't know my game the biggest thing i'll say is lone wolves fail i feel like anybody can benefit from coaching but the question is is do you need a private coach do you need peer coaching do you need a coaching site i think there's different levels in, in what matt's been saying here but you know everybody likes that whole cool thought of i'm a lone wolf well the problem with the lone wolf is the lone wolf got separated from the pack. And if he doesn't find another pack, he's going to die. He's going to starve to death. I don't want to starve to death. So I made sure I got to be a member of a pack. I've tried other sites and they were good sites, you know, and, and Red Trip Poker's out there. They're a good site. Solve for Y is a good site. Most of them are good sites. But like Matt said, they all have the information. It's not like there's anybody who's coming up with special information that the others don't have access to. I think that the difference can be in what process works for you. I gravitated towards School of Cards because when I started talking to Blake and then started talking to Matt, they were very involved in the sense of growing as human beings also. That's why I gravitated to School of Cards, and that's why I'm still a member, because that's still part of the whole process there. We're not just growing as poker players, we're growing as human beings. I have a question about that growth, because if you elect to work with a coach, you're going down this journey together. And very similar to a therapist, not all coach clients are a good fit. How do you go about figuring out whether it is a good fit, either as a client or as a coach? If you're weeding out 95 to 98% of client requests, and then you take on that five to 2%, how do you make sure that's a good fit? Like, how do you foster that relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy, first of all. Um, th there's definitely an onus of responsibility that I think a coach holds. I think a lot of coaches don't do their due diligence on this because it is good money and it is more reliable money than obviously playing poker. And so it, it's a nice way to round out your income. But I, I think that it's obviously shared responsibility between both, but the the coach often knows better than the student does as far as evaluating what the student is ready for or what is most beneficial to the student. And, and so balancing that is usually where I try to start from. It's, it's not often down to a personality clash or a stylistic clash or anything like that. It's usually, is this person right for coaching? And am I the right coach for where they're at? And that's you know, down to a number of things. I think the obvious one would be skill. Are they at a point where they can 
consume information that I'm going to disseminate in a useful manner to them? And is that enjoyable for me to disseminate? Because I can teach somebody who's never played poker and I can do it probably pretty effectively, but that's not really any kind of challenge for me. And it's not really going to be that enjoyable for me. And so that's someone I would probably turn away. And certainly they wouldn't get the best bang for their buck either because they could just go consume a bunch of free content on pot odds and whatnot. And then, and then take cash game fix with school of cards and they'd be well on their way. And then maybe, you know, down the road, I would talk to them. The next thing is like, kind of how does what they're playing coincide with the price point? So like if somebody's playing one, two and has no interest in even playing two, five, and, and maybe they have a budget for one, two at this point, they shouldn't be getting private coaching, right? Cause they're putting probably close to a buy-in away per hour. And that just like, can't really make sense for somebody in that financial position. I'm, I'm kind of going down a, a series of tangents here, but the, the point at which I think you start to have questions about, okay, is, is the coach client a good fit? It starts from that point. And I think once you have that level of communication, which by the way, is always free, like at least for me, it's not like I charge people a consultation. But once we've communicated back and forth to the point where I feel like I understand enough about their game to determine whether I would even be a good coach for them at all, forget like stylistic things and, and personality things. Usually we've communicated enough that you start to get a feel for that kind of thing. Cause like, it's like any relationship, right? Like there's chemistry and there's other elements that really come out in how they talk, how you talk and how you're able to communicate together. Like, are they, are you totally talking past each other? Is there anything weird going on there? But I would say like most of the time, most people who are taking the game seriously, who are interested in investing in themselves as a player and as a person and who respect me enough to come seek me out for coaching. If that's the case, it's usually fine. Like there's not really going to be a lot of contention barring some of the things that Dell was talking about, which are really important just around like resistance to coaching. That's been probably the number one hardest thing for me with people who I otherwise had good chemistry with, good communication with is like, if there's something in their way, if there's some kind of a massive blind spot and you can't get them to see it for whatever reason, whether it's my shortcoming as a coach or whether they're just not ready to look at it. If there's something in their way that's that big, then yeah, coaching won't work out. And I've, I think I've had one student where I had that to the point where I chose to end the relationship to the point of like giving a refund for a not insignificant amount of money. So it's definitely rare, but it does happen. And so I think keeping an eye out for it as a coach and as a student is like, there shouldn't be a lot of emotion in poker coaching. Like there shouldn't be a lot of negativity. There shouldn't be a lot of convincing the student that you're right. And there shouldn't be a lot of arguing. The key here is no coach is infallible, but the right coach-student fit should mean that the primary flow of information is from the coach to the student with the student sort of willingly intaking that information and doing work to try to fit that into their schema for how poker works and how their own game works, right? But, you know, there'll be little, little hiccups, little blips, but if there's like, big stuff where you're like going over the same thing 20 times, right? And they're like resistant to the concept or resistant to the way you're talking about it. They're either not ready for it and you need to back off or there's something else going on and it's just not the right fit. And so that was kind of like my experience. My, I mean, I was a much, I don't want to say younger coach, but like I'd been coaching a lot less time when I had this experience. 
And so I think I would have handled it better now had it happened, you know, with the same type of person or with the same relationship. It may never have reached the point that it did kind of thing. But, you know, there are warning signs, right? Like if, if there is that kind of like break in the flow of that information or break in the flow of that communication, like it's definitely a bit of a, a sign that you guys might not be sort of the right, the right pairing or just not the right time. I think for me, you've helped demystify what coaching looks like and what it isn't. I had this preconceived notion of coaching kind of like a piano teacher that I had from like kindergarten to fourth grade or golf coaches that I had in middle school, high school, and, and after college, where I would meet with them every week. We'd work on some fundamentals, do some drills, call it a day, hours up, go home, do your own home study practice, and then I'll see you next week and we'll lather, rinse, repeat. As you're talking about this relationship between the coach and the student or the pupil, it sounds more like what I'm familiar with in the corporate world with mentor-mentee relationships. I mean, I've been a mentor to others where I kind of meet them halfway. I've been in their shoes, so I know what the junior employee is facing. I know kind of what their supervisors are looking for in terms of productivity and career enhancement, career goals. So having understood their perspectives and knowing what they're trying to get out of it, and also having my own experiences from the other side of the chasm, I can kind of help bridge that divide for them. And if not so much pull them to the other side with me, build a bridge together where we can get there. Like you said, the onus is kind of on them. You can't make someone change if they don't want to. So switching gears from the point of view of the student, I, I was one of the hard-headed students. I had done my study and there were times that I didn't want to listen to the coaches. It wasn't that I didn't want to listen. That, that's not actually correct. It was that I was unable to because I had one of them blind spots. You know, I was unable to listen to the coaches. What I can tell you is that, you know, part of this, this week's podcast, we wanted to talk about coaching, but we also wanted to talk about receiving coaching. And I think I've become a pretty decent peer coach. I, I don't get paid for coaching. I don't do private coaching, but I more than willingly help out my peers and they help me out. And I've gotten much better at receiving coaching. The thing is, is that you have to have that growth mindset in order to be taught. If you're in a static mindset, you're going to struggle. And I struggled for a while. I think that's important to address. You know, I think it's important that before you go get any type of coaching, before you join any site, you really have to be open. You really have to have a growth mindset. You have to be ready to make some changes that you may not be comfortable with. Because one of the biggest changes I had to make in receiving coaches was relearning my language. <laughs> I had to relearn my language a little bit. And even to this point, like that's still a work in progress. There's times I will post something and it's like afterwards, two days later, I'm looking at it and it's like, ah, I can see how somebody might think I was an ass there, <laughs> you know, and I got to go back in and apologize for it. And, but that happens less now. And I, I, I think I've lost my train of thought there, but. Just to share with the audience, for those who aren't familiar, a growth mindset is one that looks at challenges as opportunities to grow in advance. Instead of seeing an obstacle and saying, I can't do this, they would say, I'm not able to figure this out yet. And the yet part leads them to embrace the struggle, learn more, figure it out, overcome, and then they'll get there. But if you shut yourself down and just say, I can't do it, well, you're right. You can't because you already chose that path. But the growth mindset is that mindset that allows you to overcome obstacles because you have a bit of a more optimistic outlook on your ability to overcome challenges. One other thing that I realized I had forgotten to mention just now, I'm not interested in any coach that's 
not willing to receive coaching. And I don't mean from me. For example, I know Matt gets coaching right now for uh, tournament play, if I'm correct, in PLO and anything else, Matt? Um, <laughs> so I'm probably, this is probably going to be a long rant, just like fair warning. Um, yeah, so I, there's a lot to unpack there. You, you guys were talking about like really like what it means to be coachable because as Dell mentioned, it is not always easy to be coached and being naturally coachable is not something many of us are blessed with. Most of us are human beings, unlike BJ, BJ's a robot. And uh, you just like, when you coach him, you just tell him to go do something. He just does it. And teacher's pet. Beep, pop, boop. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. Honestly, most of us are, I've struggled with receiving coaching. And the, the biggest thing that always holds me back is this attachment to what I've already accomplished and this attachment to what I've already invested in myself and my self identity, right? Because the concept of being coached is often a departure from who you are right now. And so that is, uh, yeah, I mean, growth mindset sums it up well, right? The challenge is changing yourself and being open to the idea of becoming somebody new because that version of you will be better and stronger, right? You know, harder, better, faster, stronger, as BJ might say. The, pr the problem is a lot of times we don't even realize that we're resistant to it. And I think that that's probably the hardest thing about getting coaching is number one, you don't even know you're resistant to, to the information you're receiving. And number two, you often don't need to work on what you think you need to work on. And this has always been a struggle, I think, for me in choosing to go get coaching because I identified I was at plateaus at certain points in my career. But I also knew that there were resources I had at my disposal that were cheaper than coaching and that I felt I should, again, giant air quotes on should, exhaust before going and getting coaching. And the reality is I was at points multiple times in my career where I would have benefited from getting coaching at that point and accelerating through that plateau rather than kind of like maybe it was sloping upwards slightly as I was working, but I could have, I could have like blasted through. Regarding the coaching that I've received, it's actually funny. My story getting started with School of Cards was back in like 2015 or something. I had maybe spent a grand total of $200 on any sort of training product. I had come up on free material. I had a Deuces Cracked subscription, which I think at the time was like $15 a month or something, like just outrageously cheap. And I had come up through that and was considering School of Cards. Now I was considering getting Beyond Tells in its first iteration, which if you can believe it, was, was a $200 product. And I was pretty sold on it just because it seemed really cool. And, and I liked how it was presented. And, and that was an area of the game that always interested me. Um, but I was also looking at getting a private coaching package with Blake for $2,000. Okay. And now to any, like... Like Dell and BJ are both like grinning at me because $2,000 is just not really that much money in the grand scheme of investing into your poker game over the long haul and the earn that you can expect to get back from the game once you've put in, you know, the time and requisite effort, right? And, and good effort, not just kind of like spinning your wheels type of effort. But at the time I'd spent $100 right? like $200 or something, right? Like total ever. And so that seemed like just an outrageous amount of money. And I got on the phone with Blake, he did his sales Blake thing. And I ended up getting involved and, and getting started on that. Now, again, this was a period of time where that probably wasn't the right even coaching decision for me, because 
I thought I needed technical work and I needed mental game work, like nobody's business. So I think it kind of highlights where people just start to think they need one thing, but they actually need the other. And they reach for this other thing and they go down this path and it's not actually as useful. And that's where you start to get jaded with, you know, whatever product. Fast forward to, you know, more recent times, really over the past 12 months, pretty much. I struggled a lot in the pandemic, transitioning back toward online. I played a lot online in the past and I've bounced between formats. So it's not like online was new. It wasn't like, you know, I'd never been a winner online. I've been a winner online, but I, I was struggling with downswinging and my mental game and basically playing the highest volume of poker I had played in five years. Uh, the only time I'd probably played more volume was when I was in college. And all I did besides college was play poker, basically. And so I decided to uh, reach out to this mental game coach who I had interacted with a bit on social media. I had sort of seen his posts and um, I think a couple of his emails or whatever. And I really liked uh, what I saw. And I, I reached out to him started talking about it. We did a consult. The consult went great. Again, the consult was free. And I decided to sign on for 10 sessions with him. And that was one of probably the best decisions for my game ever. And that's only even in the last year, literally, that I did this. And I completed 20 sessions with him. And it was funny because toward the end of the 20 sessions, I was kind of like trying to decide if I wanted to re-up. And, and start again. And the money wasn't like a big factor. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of money, but I was fairly confident I was getting the value out of it in the first two sets of sessions. And in the third, I was trying to figure out like, is this what I need? Is this the most valuable thing? And the thing that even more solidified that I had made the right series of decisions going with this coach, working with him for two sets of sessions was that a session like nine or whatever out of the second set of 10 came around and he's like, so I think we should talk about re-upping your sessions. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, like I, didn't, I wasn't sure if your pricing changed or whatever. He's like, yeah, I kind of feel like we should just end it now. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm happy to keep talking with you and everything. And like, this is like, I, I think we're doing good stuff. But like, you now have a lot of the foundation and the tool set to make more progress on your own. And that I don't think you need me in this capacity anymore as like the accountability structure and the weekly talking and like all this stuff. So that was uh, another sort of really cool highlight, I think, on when you found the right coach, and you have that really strong relationship, like they're very invested in you succeeding. And that's probably the number one criteria that matters above all else in finding a good coach is they need to be invested in you as much as you are invested in, in them and yourself. And have integrity about the process. Yeah, and well, sure. But I mean, the, it helps if they're invested in you. The integrity comes naturally. Now, I've also gotten additional coaching since then. Um, while I was getting that sort of more mental game kind of coaching, I also got tournament coaching. And this was, again, really good for accountability, really good just for having a consistent review. For me, a lot of my peers don't really play a lot of tournaments. And so I had largely exhausted some of the resources that I would typically have just by nature of playing a format that they did not. And so that went really well as well. And that was another relationship that there was a sort of targeted set of things that I felt I needed to work on. And then I did a consult for free and identified other things that 
the coach felt I needed to work on. And we worked on those things. And I made a ton of progress in a very, you know, very short period of time, honestly, and just fixed up a lot of big foundational leaks. And then it was like, yeah, I could keep getting coaching and it would certainly be valuable. But I sort of accomplished the goal that was most worthwhile in an appropriate amount of time with the appropriate amount of money. The other thing I'm highlighting here is that coaching is not like a forever thing necessarily. It's it's a plateau thing. It's a accomplishing something type thing. Like you don't want to be getting coaching open-ended forever from the same person probably. Because the reality is, even though they're progressing as a player, you're progressing as a player, you're going to exhaust the things that are worth talking about at that, you know, $200 an hour or whatever it is that they're charging you. And so I think that having clear goals in mind that are understood by everybody involved is another really important aspect of coaching that I didn't really talk about earlier. Because when you both know what you're striving toward, it's a lot easier to have that like shared mindset. It's a lot easier to not kind of throw up your own resistance and barriers to, to receiving that coaching. Because if you know that they know what you need and you actually feel it, like you feel in your core, like this guy knows what I want to accomplish and he or she is help, capable of helping me get there more efficiently than I can myself, you're going to have less resistance naturally. Now it's still going to happen. It's still going to come up, but all of this stuff really, yeah, I mean, it's so multifaceted, right? Like there's so many different angles to talk about. There's so much that goes into it, but this is why it all really starts with the relationship because if you can have that solid foundational, just communicative nature to what you're doing, it makes everything a lot smoother. So I want to unpack that a little bit because we just released an episode about purposeful practice where we talk about SMART goals, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-constrained. It's important for both the coach and the student to have a shared understanding of what the student's looking to accomplish. However, earlier you mentioned sometimes you see coaching thinking you need A, but really you need B. So how does that work? Like I could come to you and say, hey, Matt, I need coaching. I want to get better at this. And here's my SMART goal. By 30 September 2021, I'm going to do ABC. And you're like, hold the phone. You need to work on X. This is where I think the start of the relationship is so important. So th this is why I ask people early what they're trying to accomplish and what, what they think they'll get out of coaching. Because you don't want this conversation to happen in session three or God forbid, session like 11. Right, right. <laughs> right. Because you want to have a clear cut sense of what the student thinks they're going to get out of coaching or thinks that they need to be working on before you even get there. The key here is that when a student fully trusts in a coach and trusts their process and their understanding of the student's game, they can receive input that says, it's more valuable for you to work on this instead and take that at face value. But that still falls into like kind of the same purview of like being coachable. Because if you go in with the expectation of one thing, and then it turns out it's going to be something else, or you're going to work on something else, that's difficult. And so yeah, all of these things matter, like obviously, perfectly well meaning coaching relationships develop, and then you sometimes take a right turn. And that's fine. And sometimes that's very natural and organic. But it should always start with expectations. Because if you don't know each other's expectations, you're both going to miss your expectations. Like it's just, it's, it's as simple as that, I think. Excellent. Thank you. So I have one question about your journey 
along coaching because I've experienced this in the mentor-mentee relationship that I mentioned earlier. Some I shouldn't say sometimes, oftentimes when I am mentoring a junior employee, I end up getting something out of the relationship that I did not expect at all. So in your experience, when you've coached someone, can you think of a time that you just had some realization or you got something out of the relationship that you didn't expect at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that the number one thing that you develop is just an overall greater compassion for uh, for other players and what they're going through and and their experience of things that you've experienced because ultimately like poker is a very cool game because it's somewhat universal in the sense that we all win we all lose we all experience downswings we all tilt we all struggle in game with a lot of emotional things and life things. And like, as we've alluded to several times here, like poker is partially so fascinating because it often mirrors life. And so, yeah, there's a lot of moments like that, that taking it sort of away from poker, it's like, I just gained an appreciation for, you know, our sort of our shared humanity, but to get a little less cheesy, because I know it's like not really the direction you're probably going here. The number one thing that is like poker related is just that when you are communicating information about the game to somebody else, you have to do so as a, as a good coach, at least you have to do so in a way that they can consume and not just consume passively, but consume actively, take in, internalize, and add their own sort of spin or meaning to, and fit it into how they think about the game. And that is something that is easier with some students than others. I would say the closer a student is to me in skill, like if there's a very small gap relatively, like, okay, we're just working on a few things, but like overall their process is good. They can intake like what I just naturally spit out very easily, right? So like if I was talking to like one of you guys, Dell or BJ, like there's gonna be less energy I have to put into how I'm communicating because you're just gonna understand every piece of jargon. You're going to understand any school of cards related concepts that that are in our curriculum, right? And there's just a shared language, right? But if I am talking with a lower level student, there's a lot more energy for me that goes into not necessarily the poker concept itself, right? Like, because we might be talking about lower level things, but in how I communicate it. Now, what this does, perhaps inadvertently for most coaches, is it reinforces it. And so what ends up happening is I might be talking with a student about why set mining isn't effective in, you know, some context in which they think it's really good, right? And that's going to just literally reinforce it for me, maybe not in the same context, because maybe I know I'm not going to freaking set mine when I'm getting five to one on the entire stack, right? Like that's a no brainer, but it might get my mind churning sort of around these more nuanced spots in my own game where, you know, I am finding these weird set mines, but I wasn't really thinking about the players behind me and how much they three bet. Or, you know, I wasn't thinking about the fact that like, yeah, I am getting sort of the proper odds on average, but this is a particularly, you know, non-aggressive player who has a wide range. And so he's not going to attack enough when he doesn't have it. And he doesn't have it enough for me to just stack him super often. Right. So like, that's a much more nuanced layer to this thing that I'm disseminating to a lower level student, but that it adds something to my game. And so that's, that's the, really the big thing is when when communicating something to somebody else, when teaching something else, you're forced to understand it more deeply for yourself. I will not be able to get back in the door of my house now because uh, Matt has implied that I'm a higher end student. So, yeah. 
you know, <laughs> that your head won't fit out the door. One of the things that we want to do before we end this, and we're going to have to end it soon because Mrs. Good Boy Otis is uh, waiting for me to get home and eat, is that we want to talk about the resources. And we've mentioned them a little bit, you know, but I, I'd like to hit them again. I'm going to mention a resource that I'm a part of. We've already mentioned the sites. We've mentioned coaching, private coaching, peers. From the standpoint of peers, I have in the past, I've ran study groups and I, I should say facilitate. I don't really run them. I facilitated study groups in the past. I'm facilitating two right now. Some people do masterminds. It's really the same thing in my mind, however you want to word it. And if you don't know where to get a, get into one of these, make one of them, <laughs> you know, start one. So that's a resource for me in that being able to get peer coaching and also be able to give peer coaching. What do you guys have for tools for people to use for coaching? I'm struggling oh. to come up with any. Oh, go ahead, man. I, I, I think it's hard. Like it's that, that pause of silence. Don't cut that out because that like, it's not easy. And this is why I really encourage trying stuff out and just finding what sticks for you. Because I mean, I'm literally like, I'm literally like spewing out the school of cards marketing here by mistake, but like poker is a game that's built on you first. It's not, it's not really a game that is like a computer can play it, obviously, but like you aren't a computer. And so your job as a human poker player is not mimic a computer. It's figure out how to play a profitable game that works for you based on your skill set and based on where you're at as a player. And so figuring out where, what that even means for you is not like a given. It's not obvious. So start by trying things out. If you don't have poker friends, prioritize finding a camp where there is a community and where you feel that the community matches not just your skill or what you kind of like feel is the best, but what are your goals? Because this is literally the number one best thing about every School of Cards community in, in all, all their iteration is that every single person who's in the School of Cards path is trying to accomplish a similar subset of goals. Now, it might look different, right? One person might be fine if they're making $20 an hour at 1.2 or 2.5. The other player might be like, I really want to get to 5.10 and be crushing at $100 an hour. But the point is they're all trying to move forward to the point where they can make some sort of a side income from this game. And for the most part, they are not professional players, but they want to take it very seriously at a professional level. Like these are guys who are have good jobs, who right now are somewhere between losing or small winning, but come into this community to become strong winners. And knowing what the goals of the community are can be hard, but this is why trying it out is great. Because if you come in and you're like, man, nobody's posting, or you come in and like they're posting, but it's all online micro stakes and they're just grinding hundreds of thousands of hands. And, you know, they're arguing about the semantics between a, a check raise frequency on the turn. Like maybe, maybe that is for you, but maybe it isn't for you, you know, and Look for the people who are striving toward the things that you are striving toward. And that's really where you find your community because then you have shared goals, you have shared vision, and oftentimes your resources to each other, but you also seek out the same resources that are best for all of you. And what that leads to is a lot of these things like Dell's talking about where, okay, you could start your own study group with these three players that you know who all want to accomplish the same thing, and you just pick stuff to study together. And that's really powerful because shared goals shared, I mean, there's no finish line, but like kind of the concept of a shared finish line helps a lot. There's no resistance, right? Like you just know you're all in it together. Thanks, well man. Said. Really <laughs> appreciate that. 
Well, thanks a lot for your time, Matt. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your insights about coaching, both doing the coaching and receiving the coaching. I, I really appreciate it, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks for um, having me. It was fun. And until next week, this is the Blind Stealing the Blinds. Like what you heard? Head over to anchor.fm slash the blind stealing the blinds to subscribe, access our show archive, and find us on the socials to continue the conversation. While you're there, you can also support the show. One blind per month is all we ask.